Okay, so September 11, 2011. This is the 10th anniversary of 9-11, but that's not why we're here. I'm with Dave and Lois Belch, who are with... The Evangelical Alliance Mission. You pause there for a second, like uh, you weren't sure, <laughs> or you weren't sure if this, this was an interview or not. There we go. <laughs> Evangelical Alliance Mission, and you guys serve in the, where at? Canary Islands. Canary Islands. So in reference to uh, Hawaii, where would that be? It's Near? the other side of the globe, probably. <laughs> <laughs> they belong to Spain. Spain, so you're just off the coast of Spain? Yes. All well, right. we're actually off the coast of northwest Africa. But North the Canary West. Islands were absorbed by Spain back in the colonial era. You're closer to Africa than yes, Spain. Yes, we are. Very interesting. Okay. And uh, the question on everybody's mind, did you get teased a lot as a kid with the last name Belch? Definitely. <laughs> it was very easy to default to a nickname, which I am still called by a number of my peers of that age. What, what's the nickname, Kumno? Well, it's very easy. It's Burp. Ah. So you guys, have you heard of that new book, The uh, Heaven is for Real? No, I about not. the little boy that supposedly died or went to heaven no. and had a tour. His last name was Burpo. Oh, really? Yeah, no relation? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> so, did you grow up in a Christian family, Dave? Yes, I did. And mother, mother and dad were both believers? Mom and dad were both believers and served the Lord with a lot of enthusiasm all their lives. Were they on a mission field? Yes, they were. Where, yeah. where did they serve? In Venezuela, South America. Oh. So, that's where I was raised. You were raised, you American citizen raised in Venezuela. Yes. Were you born in Venezuela? I started in Hollywood, California. My dad was studying at the School of Missionary Medicine then. He was planning on going to China. China closed down, and they ended up in South America, Venezuela. But they were actually from North Carolina as far as their U.S. location. Oh, okay. And Lois, your parents believers? Yes. Um, my dad's Canadian. My mom is an American, and they also... Um, Went to Venezuela as missionaries. I wasn't born there, but um, five of my siblings were born there. So did you guys meet on the mission field? Yes. In Venezuela? We knew each other as children because our parents worked close to each other. They were with the same mission board. Oh, okay. But uh, there's enough of an age difference, as Lois will quickly tell us, to uh, not have anything happen back then. So we had both gone to Venezuela as singles and then reconnected there, and that's when our, our relationship Started. So you knew each other as kids at the mission school, mm -hmm. or on the mission field, right. but then never right. was never anything until you were both independent missionaries, right? And you were serving with the same mission organization, yeah, on the same at the same location, yes, right. We had gone to um, the same missionary kid school where we had both gone to school probably ten years of our upbringing in Venezuela. A very positive experience for both of us, and uh, it was a boarding school. We just sensed God's call to go back there. We kind of anticipated it would be a, a short-term experience because in the back of our minds, we always felt that God was calling us to a church planning experience as well. But we ended up being at the MK school for 20 years. So did you, uh, when, when you were growing up on the mission field, did you always know that you were going to be a missionary? That what you had planned growing up there? Was that sort of the way that you just grew up yet in that direction? In my own personal case, I think from about ninth grade forward, I sensed that that was God's call on my life. I couldn't figure out why it wouldn't be to go back to Venezuela. Where you were familiar uh, with it? You exactly. Up there. But I clarify also that location is not necessarily the will of God. It's what God is doing in our lives that is more important. Right. Than the location, all the location at times is important. Somebody did challenge me when I was just shortly before I went back to Venezuela as a single missionary, saying, suggested that I was just going back there as a childhood dream, and actually challenged me to go to Spain. And the huh. I sensed that that was not what God was saying to me at the time. But interestingly enough, now we are in Spain. Right. <laughs> so did you grow up knowing you'd be a missionary? Um, I think so. I've always had that desire to go. I mean, it was either Mali or Africa, or I remember thinking Ecuador would be a good place. But eventually, I went back to Venezuela when I was 21 as a cook for the missionary children's school, a dietitian. But I was not an official dietitian. They just were desperate for somebody to to head that whole food production for the for the missionary children's school. 
So I went back for six months with the um, agreement that I would stay a year and a half if they needed me. And when I went back, I met we met David again, and we got married. And yeah, so. So what year did you get married? Seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. Six years after I was born. Now you you said there's an age difference. Five years, eight months. Oh, that's not much. Of course not. Five years, eight months, that's not much. <laughs> so you look so much older than she does, though. It's called the hair dyeing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how did you, how many children do you guys have? And we what are their ages? Four children. They are 29, the oldest. Lois better take over from there. <laughs> 29, he's married um, and has two children. And he has a name? Michael. Okay. And then Jordana is 26, and she just got married this summer, and she has a son. Um and Bradley is 24, and he's married and has no children. And then Caroline just graduated from high school, 18. Six years between your last two. Uh, yeah. Very that cool. Was not planned. No. Uh, uh, surprise. <laughs> we were supposed to be a, a three-child family. <laughs> so those those three children who are married, or all four of them, are they they serve with you in the mission field? Are they in the same area with you? Are they missionaries themselves? What are they? Where are they at? And what are they doing? They, they are all four right now in Spokane. Washington, but they are very involved in what uh, God is doing through the local church. They're all attending the same church in Spokane, Faith Bible Church. Our youngest just arrived there, but she has been very involved in our ministry for the last uh, years. Uh, has been not with us, not just in Tenerife with us, but has also helped an aunt with some short-term ministry in Italy and our other children are all involved there in the local church we are extremely grateful to God for that yeah do you, do you think that any of them would ever end up being overseas missionaries our second missionaries? son which is our third child is he and his wife are looking at going with the Peace Corps in January of 2012 oh. probably somewhere in Africa I consider that to be a very viable missionary opportunity they are totally enthused about uh, the opportunities that God's going to give them there to share the gospel. It's kind of a different uh, venue to go. But is it a language he would be familiar with? No. In that area? So it would be, no. even though he's no Spanish, Yes. it would end up being cross-cultural. It is totally that. His wife is a nurse, and so they will probably put her uh, medical ability to work there. And our son is a graduate in international affairs, so they'll probably somehow figure out how to put him to work in some kind of a business capacity over there with the Peace Corps and we're excited about that because it's it's getting them out and overseas they've both committed to that since they got married but in kind of a slightly different format yeah so how did you how did you uh, get called to the mission field how did you decide that's what you wanted to do and you went with the was it just a natural step from being there with your parents um, then raising your own support yeah for me Jim it was just kind of a that still small voice of God, that, that burning uh, compassion that you, yeah. this is what you wanted to do. This is just what you wanted to give your life to. It was just seeing our own parents and their passion to uh, share the gospel with people in a cross-cultural setting. It was hearing good Bible teaching uh, during my upbringing, both through my own parents, but also through Bible conferences that we were able to go to. How long were you on the mission field before you met? Just, well, remet, I should say. Just yeah. six months, bro. I had gone out six months before her, and she came in to fill in for this. Oh, I see. And that's when you met. Food need in the MK school. Yes. And that was in Venezuela. Right. And what did you... You were both working at the school to begin with? How did you get into church planting? How did that... Uh, how many churches have you planted in Venezuela? When we were at the school, we were involved in a local church there uh, from really for me from day one I mean that was what I saw in the pattern of my parents and Lois's parents as well my parents started I don't know probably six churches in their lifetime in Venezuela uh, Lois's dad several I don't know how many but yeah so both of your parents were church planning yes missionaries. and then they worked at a Bible Institute as teachers oh very cool but even while and where at in Venezuela was that that's in the western part of the country. Okay. But in my dad's case, and even Lois's dad's too, even the last 10 years that my dad was at this Bible college, 
he started a church during that time too. That was just what we grew up knowing. So while we were at the MK school, we were helping at a church. It was a church that had been started during my childhood, uh, but did not have the ability to have their own pastor. And so we started helping. There was about an hour away from the MK school. And we would go every Sunday evening mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, would go during the week for different activities as well. But our goal was to get to the church, that church to the point where they could support a, a pastor, which that happened. We were pleased with that. And then later with another fellow missionary, we, we started a church in that area. It was a small church. This was number two. Yes. Uh, and that, that church is still going on. It's a small little mountain town. Uh, very close to where guerrilla activity happens nowadays on wow. the Colombian border. Uh, those were some exciting times. At one point, people told me I probably shouldn't go there as often as I was going, just for that reason. But so even back then, it was still dangerous. Yes, yes. I didn't know that, but <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's where our church planning experience started, and when we left the MK School Ministry, um, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, then we went into the central central part of Venezuela, up close to the capital city of Caracas, but about an hour away from that small town called Guatire. And that's where we really got into the church planning experience. How many churches went there? Two there. And since that time, uh, another congregation is informing, probably two. Uh, and they're helping out in... The jungle area of Venezuela as well have a mission. That that same church has a missionary couple who are now helping to start a church in the indigenous area, the jungle area of Venezuela. So that's been kind of exciting to see that church have a missionary passion. The church you planted, planting another church. Yes. In the course of how many years? We were there for 10 years. And during that time, uh, one other church had been started and we had just done a lot of outreach in other areas as well, including starting to go down into this area of, of Venezuela called the Amazon area. And uh, that now has resulted in pretty well a, a long-term commitment to both with having a missionary presence there from that church, but also helping to put up a church building, which to me was pretty interesting because God used the North American church to help us put up a, a very large church building, 500 seating capacity in Guatire. And I always told the people there, you know, you have received generously from God's people and uh, God calls upon you to give. So the interesting thing is they have now had an opportunity to put up a church building down in the Amazon area. For the church that they planted. Exactly. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. So your efforts in Guatira mm-hmm. have produced how many churches? Four? Three? Four? Probably three at this point. Four, if you count the jungle. Yeah. And another Four one on the way because um, the Catilamar Church has another preaching point. Right. So what what is the what is, what's your theology? What is the theology behind planting a church as a missionary? It, it doesn't come from just well we're just gonna we have all these things that we could do as a missionary. We could do street witnessing or we could do this. We could do that. let's plant a church. What what makes you think? What makes you decide to do that? I think you need to let the people know you're there. I, well, I don't mean so much how, how do you get involved in it, but what is your, what's your theological commitment? There's obviously a theology behind this. You are passionately committed to the church, the, exactly. body, the, the body of Christ. That's the instruction of Jesus to go and make disciples. Uh, evangelism is implicit. Jesus doesn't tell us necessarily to go and evangelize, but it's implicit that the gospel is going to be proclaimed. And the, the passion is to see that church continue. Uh, to me, it is not intended to be a, a dead-end street. Yeah. And that's my understanding of basic discipleship. Uh, somebody came along and shared the gospel with us. Uh, somebody came along and encouraged us in our faith. And even that is not intended to be a dead-end street. God calls us all, uh, not just as a responsibility, but as a privilege uh, to share the gospel with others. As we have received, uh, we give. So how do you how do you start a church? You go into town, you hang up a shingle and say we're the church, and then you, you have to go down and buy the the lights and the the fog machines and the the big band, and then you have to have all the programs like 
appearing in a Superman costume and drawing uh, spiritual parallels between Harry Potter and Jesus. Yes. And you do all that to call in the goats, right? Yes. yes. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing because you think I'm mocking, which I am. That's not how you do it. I know you. I know you. <laughs> I have this little thing that I call gospel uh, noise or gospel volume. I don't think it's called that in the book of Acts. But I do think you see uh, the Apostle Paul when he sensed God's calling to go to strategic points. Uh, he went in and he went to places where people were gathering. He engaged the community. He showed a remarkable understanding of, of the culture, took advantage of those uh, issues that were important in the culture, and trusted God to to bring people out to hear and and uh, to start responding uh, as the Holy Spirit worked in their lives. And so that's kind of how we've done it. We've made a lot of use of short-term teams. Mm -hmm. uh, so we feel that's a way that you can multiply in a, in a, in a quick manner uh, your efforts and start helping the community know that you're there because you care for them. Also let them know that there's a God who cares for them and uh, you just trust God to start working in hearts and lives and our commandment has always been as people get saved and they're showing obedience to the Lord, you call them to work, to serve the Lord. Uh, you don't have to wait till they have all their theological ducks lined up. You help them with that and in, 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 over the time. But I, I think you call them to serve. And uh, they are better equipped to reach their own friends, their family members, than what we are. So you don't bear the whole burden for the work. You you put them to work and equip them to do the work of ministry. Right. How do you how do you go about strengthening the church? Once you get believers from the streets, from being out in the marketplace, you would I would imagine start with a small group of ten or twelve or six or fifteen people in a home or in some place where you can gather together. How do you how, what then do you do to begin to build them up? These believers, these new believers. Well. What happens in the churches that we're familiar with have to happen from the ground up. Uh, the Word of God is totally important. They have to know God's Word. They have to hear God's Word, uh, the preaching of God's Word, the study of God's Word, individual reading of God's Word. That is just totally important. And we never know how God is going to work. I remember the first summer that we were in Guatita, we had two uh, teams come in, one from the Seattle area and one from Spokane area. And we had just moved in to a house probably a week before the second group came in, and they were eating out of our house. I think my wife had two burners on a stove that were working when we moved into that house, and she was cooking like for 30 people, maybe 40. Um, and we did a two-week activity there uh, directed toward young people, yeah, but parents come when their young people come. Parents come and are looking at a distance. And it was a recreational activity, but with open pro proclamation of the gospel. Because there was a large group of Americans there, that drew a crowd. And at the end of the time, they all wanted to come to say goodbye. Everybody was leaving the next day. They came by our house. Totally, We totally did not expect this. Eighty people showed up at our house wow. in one evening, uh, including some of the parents that we had gotten to know during that two-week period of time. And I didn't know what else to say, but to announce that the next Saturday we were going to have a youth activity at our house. And 40 or 50 young people showed up. That was the beginning of a of a youth group. Huh. Not all of those remained, but it is interesting that a good number of those young people that we knew right from that initial activity uh, are continuing. Some walked away from the Lord. Uh, a number of years later in a shopping center, we ran into one of the, those young men. And here he had come back to Christ. He was married, raising a family, and totally enthused about God. And uh, so you start with something. You you get active. You try to be strategic. A lot of prayer. Um, we were very encouraged as we started the church plant in, in Venezuela uh, that churches here in the U.S., we knew they were, they were involved uh, in praying. One church in particular in Spokane, our sending church, had been very involved in just helping to think through strategy in advance. God leads. We know that. Mm -hmm. We obey the Holy Spirit. But I think God has called us to be strategic also. 
about the proclamation of the gospel. That was Paul did. He went into the synagogues and mm-hmm. into the marketplaces. He mm-hmm. knew where the people were at, and he went to the people and took the gospel to them. Exactly. Very strategic. The, now, there's obviously a huge um, progression from starting with a group of 10 or 12 in a home to having a functioning church that's sound in doctrine with elders and deacons and, and a preaching elder. You have to train these people who have come from basically the pagan marketplace to be elders in the church before you leave them on their own. You don't just plant a church, throw up a shingle, build a building, and move on to the next one. There's an equipping that takes place so that those people in that area are not dependent upon you. How do you go about that process? How long does that take? And what what do you put in place to mature these people from the point of being an unbeliever to being an elder in the church? I think what David said is, True. I mean, you, you live with them practically. But one of the things he was very committed to, and that is that whole equipping process. And we, um, we as a church were committed to that. And so um, courses were offered. And he set it up so that there are, this is like a three-year rotation of, of foundational material that has to do with, you know, theology. Um, You're teaching them doctrine. Exactly. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, character development. Char- character development. And ministry skills. Yeah. You teach them to preach? Yes, indeed. But, you know, it's totally amazing how God leads. I, I just think the sovereignty of God is, is so cool. I don't consider myself to be that smart. There are a lot of people out there that have written lots of good material. There's probably some that's not so good. You can make use of that. But it just seemed to me in our context that we should do most of our own writing, making use of a lot of good resources that are available, but it just... Create your own materials for It them. just seemed like that was better for the local context. It was cost uh, accessible that way as well. And then it was kind of ours. It was tailor-made for that context. But I've, I've just always felt that the way leadership happens is you offer equipping to any and all mm-hmm. that are willing to participate. And it's good theology, but it's also working on their character development, also helping them to, to gain ministry skills. I mean, I, I, taught, I taught a course one time on how to lead. It was about leading, obviously, small group Bible studies, but it was also about how to lead a worship service. Not everybody in a course like that is going to lead a worship service, yeah. but you might as well give them exposure. I taught them how to lead activities. I taught them how to have fun together as a, as a body of believers. Um, but the interesting thing I was getting ready to say about the preaching, uh, a fellow missionary was, was working at a seminary, but it was a seminary that was based upon distance education. So they would allow people to come for a training time on a weekend. Then they would go back to their churches. They, they had a, a course on biblical interpretation that they wanted me to come and take just to kind of evaluate, uh, how practical it would be, uh, for the, for the growth of churches. And they bugged me about it a long time. Uh, this was a fellow missionary and a Venezuelan that were, he was working with. And I finally said, I'll come. But I'll only come if you'll allow me to bring about ten other men. And so he said, bring them. And so we started going about once a month over a period of a year uh, with these ten men from the church. Just the ride there was an hour and a half away was enough to make it worth it. I had a 12-passenger van. All of us fit in the van. And that was enough to make it worth it, just being together with men, talking about God's word over a weekend. But we would do the course. Some of these men had not studied since high school, and some of them were pretty raw in the academic process. But we just started studying God's word together. I did not know at the time that the end desire uh, of, of the men that were leading the course was to prepare people to preach. But they said, you got to start by understanding how to study God's Word. Yeah. And so we would do that. I pretty well figured out that it would be hard for some of these men to do the homework in the month in between. And so I said, let's just meet together every Saturday. So we started meeting together every Saturday to do the homework together. And we'd go back to the course a month later. And that progressed. At the end of that time, guess what? We had ten men basically ready to preach. So I said, wow, so what does that mean? Well, that means I get out of the way. I don't do as much preaching, even though I'm passionate about that. And just started rotating these men into the preaching process. 
And so when we left the church, uh, you know, at the end of 10 years, we had probably 12 or 15 men that were equipped to preach. Equipped and gifted to preach. That's awesome. And not everybody who likes to study can preach. Exactly. And not everybody who can preach likes to study. Right. So you got a, a good, well-grounded group of men. Right. Out of that 15, are they all elders, or do you have some of them that are elders? About when I left, there were seven that were elders. Uh, well, with myself, would be eight. And uh, But he had young young men in their early 20s going to that course, too. And now one of those young men is in the jungle, and he's using his preaching. And the other is a guy that's um, in Argentina. And he's been used to God there. And, I mean, the Lord has spread them out, these these young men that were trained. It's mm-hmm. really quite exciting. Another one's in Spain, in Madrid. And um, he is called on to preach also. I mean, he's now his late 20s, probably early 30s. But all these men, the young men, went through this process of interpretation and, and preaching. And it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And they're committed to expository preaching. Exactly. Read the text, explain the text. Yes, indeed. We and that has this wonderful way of growing God's people, doesn't it? Yeah. Book by book, paragraph by paragraph, story by story. That's so old-fashioned. It is. You would just be, <laughs> you would just be a dinosaur in our culture here, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's so old, it's almost new. Yes, yes. Um, so after Gutidra, mm-hmm. then you... you Twelve or fifteen guys able to preach, seven elders, the church that's healthy, doctrinally sound. They're equipping others to do the same thing. They're meeting together. You get to a point where you think. Well, I, we're kind I have of to back work. up a little bit. The, when we first went to Guatire, the first month we were there, we determined as a missionary we went with another couple, and there was another Venezuelan couple that was involved. There was three three families that we would begin tithing, all offerings to missions, offerings that came in, at least 10% would go to missions from the from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was either the first summer or the second summer, um, we sent two of our kids, well, my, my one of my daughters and this other couple's um, oldest son, to Italy as short-term missionaries, and they were there for five weeks. Um, and every summer after that, for the following 10 summers there have been short-term teams coming out of that that church plant yes wow yeah so as time moved forward um the missionary process is you don't stay there forever that's implicit uh your your goal is to work yourself out of a job it it is and that's what we were doing that's what we were doing all the time just all areas whether it be administrative whether it be um you know, the equipping courses. Uh, I probably taught 30 or more courses during that period of time, but got other uh, men to teach the courses as well. And when we left, left them in good enough shape that they could use them or retool them. And, and they are continuing to use those courses. But uh, our mission board, uh, the Evangelical Alliance Mission, by that time had been in Venezuela almost 100 years. And just... A number of people with encouragement from our home office in in Chicago area uh, said, you know, we probably should start thinking about just whether we as a mission board stay in Venezuela forever or whether we also as a mission board consider that God would have us move on. And that's kind of the conclusion we came to. So we knew that at some point all of us is, that were with team in Venezuela were going to leave. And uh, that was about a 10-year process. In our case, as we started trusting God for, for his direction, um, the second church that we had started, which was about an hour and a half away down on the coast of Venezuela, uh, the northern coast, some some people that had come to the Lord there that we had then baptized, they ended up moving to Spain to do the Canary Islands. There's been a long history ever since the colonial era between the Canary Islands and Latin America. A lot of ships coming and going. So these these people had, had moved for economic reasons and they got to the Canary Islands, to the island of Tenerife. There are seven islands. They got to the larger of the islands called Tenerife and began looking for a church and where they had located, they just could not find a church. 
So they began asking us, would we come? Planet Church. The Planet Church. We just thought they were being a little lazy, <laughs> a little picky, wanted a church just like what they had left. You kind of know what that's like when you move somewhere else. And they, But they just kept praying and kept calling us to come. So we said, all right, let's go. And so we and along with... you worked yourself out of a job in Petitra sufficiently that yes, you could move yes. on. So we went... For an exploratory. Took two couples from the Guatita Church, because our long-term goal was when we went, that hopefully God would allow somebody from that church to go with us for a church plant somewhere else. And another American family that were also missionaries with team in Venezuela in a different location. We went... We just immediately knew this is what God was saying. Go to go to Tenerife. So the church that you're in now, how long have you been? Been there for almost three years. Uh, but we actually started sending short-term teams uh, almost five years ago because the other missionary couple was okay. The other missionary couple was ready to uh, to make the the redeployment already, and so they went first, and we started helping with uh, sending the short-term teams. From Venezuela now, the first summer that we sent a short-term team to Tenerife, 15 people went from Venezuela. From your church there? Yes. That wow. is pretty cool. That is very cool. And then a, a group from uh, the U.S. as well, and we have put together the last several years now a combined team of North Americans and Venezuelans. So now you start the process all over again. Yes, you indeed. By the light show and the fog machine and you there do all that stuff all over again, right? Exactly. Get the goats in and it's feed a, the goats. It's definitely a different culture, though. It's you are now in Europe. Yeah. Europe is a different animal. It is. Yeah. Yes. So, the the still speaking Spanish? Yes. So, the, the tools that you use in Guatidra, can you yes. just take those and plug them right into Tenerife? Retool them. Context is always important. Culture is always important. The fact that they speak Spanish doesn't mean that they are the same. Right. And uh, so we have been able to reuse a number of those and will continue. But we have also just, I just believe you have to go with what the need of the area is. Yeah. So what is the church name in Tenerife? The name in Spanish is Iglesia Cristiana Fuente de Paz y Esperanza. I'll do that in English for you. Sure. Uh, Fountain of Peace and Hope Christian Church. Beautiful. What was the one in Guatidra? It was called Iglesia Biblica Fe y Esperanza, Faith and Hope Bible Church. Very similar. Yes. Yeah. So what is it like living with somebody of his personality type? Are you looking at me? Yeah. <laughs> when David and I were married, he publicly, like we, we made our vows and said them publicly, he publicly promised that he would not expect me to keep up with him. <laughs> and he has, has he kept that promise? Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Because he just has, you know, he's just gifted with twice as much energy as the average person, and I'm not. I'm just normal. So, yeah. So he just goes and goes and goes. He just goes and goes and goes, and yeah. Type A personality? Yep. yep. Type A personality with very strong gifting and mercy, which is unusual. Yeah. He's a very merciful person, way more merciful than I am. Um, Usually people who are wired like exact, you. Exact. Are not merciful. You just run over people. Exactly. So it's really it's very cool. So, I mean, you know, every marriage has its ups and downs. <laughs> but it's been, it's been great. Do you keep busy on the mission field? <laughs> Yes, but hopefully it's not just busy. Hopefully it's productive. Productive. I am always called to what God puts in front of us and aim for that and just keep aiming for it until he shows something else. And I, I just think anything and everything you do in a church context needs to be about what God's calling is for that church. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't just do activities to do activities. We do them because there's a purpose behind it, which is for building up the body of believers and engaging unbelievers. And so that's even what happened this summer with the basketball outreach. Which we had a young man from our church here yes. who went over there yes. with uh, you guys. Taylor Jensen was extremely 
beneficial and helpful. Um, but that was. And the interesting thing with Taylor is you could tell he'd had really great foundations. There's not very many 16-year-olds that would have the the vision and and just get what it's all about. Mm -hmm. A lot of 16-year-olds would go and it would be about the experience, it would be about going to the Canary Islands. That was not Taylor. Taylor was there because there there was a you know, there was a vision, there was a proclamation of the gospel and it happened to involve basketball, which he loves, but very mature young man. He yeah. was very excited. Very good. And so what have you learned about God through this ministry of church planting? Let's get personal. I'm going to ask you what you've learned in a few different areas. So what have you learned about God? I've already mentioned the sovereignty of God. He, he totally knows what he's about. And he works through the experiences of our everyday lives. Uh, God is totally patient. Um, God uh, is all about his greatness being known. Uh, and I just continually see that. I think God calls upon us to be proactive. But as we look ahead and we look behind, we always see that God was very much directing, leading, uh, present, providing. And so I think the big thing that just continually stands out for me is God is sovereign. Awesome. And you? God is faithful. I mean, it's nothing new, but just to see the faithfulness of God and taking us to the Canary Islands right now and at our age <laughs> I think it's yeah. I, I kind of went kicking and screaming in terms of learning a new culture David just immediately jumps in and says okay this is our new reality let's just go for it and at you know, age 50 plus that's not always I'm not as accepting but God's faithful and I really don't have to love being there I really don't have to feel good about being there I just have to be obedient and those feelings will come, and they are, you know, coming eventually. And you just, God's faithfulness there is just amazing. So the Venezuelan culture is much more open. You're at home there yes. than you are in the yes. European culture. Absolutely. For me personally, it's been a very difficult um, transition. Do you even notice that, Dave, in your transition, going from one to the other, <laughs> or do you just kind of, you know, I can swim in any waters I'm plunked into? Oh, well, you notice it. Europe is just more reserved, uh, cautious. Wary, untrusting, untrusting, and not real open to ideas that come from somewhere else. They are Europe. They ruled the world right. for At many time. centuries, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they st still have a very strong mindset that they know how to get things done, and that's that's good. That's fine. Every culture ought to have that. But regarding the gospel, they just they just don't understand it. How have you grown personally being on the mission field over the course of your whole time of service and your own Christian life? Your character, your personality, are you more this now than you were and less this than you were? How have you personally matured? That's probably something better for, for Lois to answer, but I'll take a stab at it. I, I can show impatience, and uh, I think it especially shows up during times of stress. Uh, times of a lot of activity and uh, you want things to happen right and, uh, and and they're not so the impatience shows up but I think God has allowed me to slow down in that area be a little more relaxed about life uh, every detail doesn't need to be taken care of in advance he is sovereign and he will uh, it's amazing how that, that truth just irons other things yeah, out isn't it yeah that's for sure so I think that's one of the areas where I've seen growth in my own life. And you? I don't I don't know. I think that the growth process in my life would probably be the same as any believer anywhere in the world that loves and serves the Lord Jesus as wholeheartedly as they're capable of. Um, the fact that we're missionaries overseas doesn't make our growth process I don't think any more stellar. Any different? No. So what is it that you guys have as Christians that allows you to be a missionary that would keep other people from this church or any other church from going to the mission field? Special training, special giftedness, special character qualities? We don't have anything spiritual different. spiritual capability? We don't have, we don't have anything. We have... You're normal people. We have taught the believers that 
there is nothing about a missionary that is not possible for any believer. Uh, titles, we're not about that. We're not about position. Uh, it's a body of believers. And uh, God uh, uses the janitor in the church when he is faithful to his calling, the same way in which God uses uh, the one who is preaching the word on Sunday mornings. Um, we're not about hierarchy. Uh, I wrestle with that all the time. One of the things I consistently had to help the, the elders in the church in Guatita to understand is that it's not about position. Uh, we we lead from the back of the pack. Uh, we, we shepherd and we encourage each other to shepherd. So uh, God, God's calling is unique in each of our lives. God leads some of us to go and get specialized training. Uh, but God has us all in a very unique place. And I am totally uh, excited when I hear about the average believer that's just been faithful to serve the Lord in the context where he has placed them. God doesn't call everybody to the mission field. No, he doesn't. And you wouldn't want to see everybody on the mission. At least not in a cross-cultural setting. Right. But he calls every believer to service. Yes. So do you have any special giftedness or talents that enable you to be a missionary wife? You're just a normal person with normal struggles? A very normal person, normal struggles. Yep, I'm a mom. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the the whole thing of having my kids right now far away is difficult, but I think it would be difficult for anybody. Yeah. Um, I, one of the things I will say that I, as missionaries we probably are, are privileged in that there's a lot of people praying for us mm-hmm. um, and that to me is, is significant I don't take that for granted and I am blessed by it by the people that are involved in our, in our life and ministry and particularly in our <coughs> praying for our children because we've seen that if, if the enemy wants to get at us oftentimes they'll tie through our children can't get at us, and it's just so important that prayer for for them and for mm-hmm. our ministry, and just to keep us on track. What is the what has been the greatest blessing of the last thirty years in ministry? The greatest blessing in the last thirty. Yeah, I, years I, I'll ministry. give you a little bit of headache. Head up, not a headache. A head up. I'm going to ask you what's the greatest blessing, and then I'm going to ask you what's the greatest challenge. And then I'm going to ask you, what would you go back and do differently if you could do something differently? I think for me the greatest blessing is seeing people that by God's grace we've been able to impact being faithful to God. That is true in the missionary kids school setting. We were there for 20 years. We saw a lot of kids come and go. And we were very involved in their lives. It was a boarding school. Uh, Teachers which is what I was. I was later the principal of the school. But we were involved weekends, coaching, after-school activities, weekend activities, discipleship. Uh, when we went to this one church every Sunday evening, we took, for quite a few years, a group of three or four young uh, students with us. And they were involved with us, helping us teach Sunday school classes there. And so to even know that a good number of those are faithfully serving the Lord, whether in a cross-cultural setting or back in their homeland. That is extremely gratifying. It's gratifying that uh, the people in in Guatita are being faithful to God. And whether they are in Madrid studying right now a master's degree and yet very involved in the church there, whether they are in the jungles of Venezuela, uh, a missionary, I mean, a family from Venezuela that we are hoping will be joining us in Tenerife, or just the people in the church there that we were allowed to see come to know the Lord, to see that they are still walking in obedience. I think that's in one of the Johns, I don't know if it's the second epistle of John to the third, but that's one mm-hmm. of the comments that's made that, you know, you are being faithful to God. So I think that's one of the greatest rewards for me. I would say the same thing. It's that long faithfulness in the same direction. Right. And you start to see the fruit of that after right. generations or decades, actually. For you right. guys, it's been decades. 
being able to see the fruits of that right. that you started 30 years ago. And, and also to see that fruit in our children's lives. That to me, there's just, I mean, it's all grace. And it's just so unbelievable to see our children follow hard after the Lord. And that's really cool. What has been your greatest challenge? My own imperfections. <laughs> <laughs> dealing with, dealing with unredeemed flesh. Yeah. <laughs> For sure, that's me. <laughs> my greatest challenge on the personal level is my personality because I'm a go-getter all day long, all week long, taking time to be quiet before the Lord. My wife would quickly know is, a, is an ongoing issue for me and yet very much necessary. Uh, the well will dry up. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not allowed. We're not supposed to live from a well mentality anyway. We're supposed to live in a daily relationship with the Lord, and that's what others are supposed to see in us. So, on a personal level, that's probably my greatest challenge. At a ministry level, my greatest challenge is probably um, immature believers, believers that have received and ought to be now. Uh, a positive force for the proclamation of the gospel, for the advance of Christ's kingdom, but instead are needing to be babysat still, uh, are stealing with some of the same struggles because they're not being obedient. So they're not receiving joy, but they also require attention that we should be able to dedicate to people that are not believers. There comes a point where they should be teachers, but exactly. they still need milk. Yes. Exactly. Yes. What would you go back and do differently if you had a chance? One thing, or two things, or ten things? I would put more emphasis on individual relationships. One of the problems with the type A personality is you tend to look at the group, and you tend to plan things for the group. And yet, the New Testament seems to point out leaving the Old Testament, the individual relationship. And so it's not a matter of going back. It's a matter of continuing to keep that focus. It takes time mm -hmm. uh, to work with individuals, and yet that seems to be a pattern in, in the Word of God that um, that is very prevalent. And so I need to keep calling myself to being well, willing to invest time on an individual level and and know that that is going to have long-term dividends uh, for the sake of, of the gospel. Yeah. So what's next for the Belches? You plant the church in Tenerife, and then you buy an RV and move to Florida and sit in a nursing home? Or <laughs> do you just keep serving and planting churches until God calls you home? Yeah, retirement is an interesting issue that uh, I don't see a lot of justification for in the Bible. Uh, retirement to me, uh, for any of us as believers, is just a change of venue. Uh, there is uh, a ministry uh, hospital ship that works off the coast of Africa, goes to very poor and impoverished African nations, and just shares the gospel with people by loving them through med medicine. And uh, we, we know that ministry because they have that ship has come at harbored in Tenerife during the winter time uh, for refurbishing and just some relaxed time. And it is amazing. It's a, a ship that has 450 people on it sharing the gospel from 40 different nations of the world living together on that ship. Mm. And we were greatly impacted to see a number of elderly people on that ship who obviously had, had realized that even though a retirement age had come, retirement from serving God had not come. And they were just faithfully serving the Lord still in a ministry like that. And so I think that's probably what the future would hold for us. I'm almost 62. And uh, so some official retirement age as far as pension plans and things like that will come along. But I don't think it will mean just coming back and hanging up a towel. Whether we even come back to America, don't know. We could end up going back to Venezuela and just continue to preach in the churches there, but right. uh, slightly different 
financial arrangement. Um, so we're, we're trusting the Lord for that, and we'll see what will happen. From what you're seeing happen in the Canary Islands, do you think you'll be there full 10 years with that church, or will it be quicker? Will it take longer? It'll take longer. Longer. Yeah. Because of the culture. It's a yeah. cultural issue. Yeah. I, I mean, Europe is hard. And it has to be a work of God. I am so convinced of that. You know, the whole Romans nine. He he has to do he has to do a work in the people there. And uh, until that happens, you know, but we're we're faithfully proclaiming the gospel, and the results are really up to him. But yeah, we are in a town called Santa Ursula. It's fifteen thousand population, but spread around us are another four. Small towns and a total of 150,000 people within probably about a 40-minute drive. Hmm. And right now, we are the, when we went in there, we were the only church in that, in those five towns. The only evangelical, yes. Bible-proclaiming church. The, the gospel is coming to Tenerife, even the sovereignty of God there is pretty interesting to see. It is, it has not had a lot of missionary activity. It has had some, but not a lot over the years. But it seems like just in the last three years, God is, is, is bringing more people there to proclaim the gospel. And so we are seeing more churches. But we're still talking about a ratio of believers to unbelievers of less, less than one half of one percent. Uh, even for the Northwest in the United States, hmm. it's a pretty small population. So how can people pray for you? And with this, we'll close. Pray that we will be faithful to God's calling. Pray that we will be purposeful in evangelism. It's pretty easy in an environment that's very sterile to the gospel to uh, to just say, well, they really don't want to hear anyway, so we'll just wait for them to come to us. Mm-hmm. But to be faithful in, in being assertive and looking for ways to engage people on a friendship basis, but with purposeful sharing of the gospel. Uh, Lois would add, pray for our children. We are greatly privileged. We do not take it as a, for granted that our, our children are walking in obedience to the Lord. And we would pray that God would continue to protect them in that way and give them a heart and a passion to serve Him. Mm-hmm. And pray for the maturity of the believers in our church, that they would you know, grow and become leaders equipped to do the work of the ministry. In a very practical way, we are starting to go through a process of considering some men for eldership uh, in the church. We have asked the church for recommendations, and yet we believe that the decision is actually made by the team of elders that's there. And uh, so we are following that lead. The church has made some recommendations. We need to spend some time with those men and see them continue to mature, but mm-hmm. that God would direct us uh, very specifically because we will not be there long term. Right. If the Lord tarries, it's going to be men like that that God's going to raise up uh, to lead that church. Very good. Well, thanks, you guys, for taking the time. I hope this has been encouragement to others who are considering ministry in the mission field or at least uh, an opportunity for people to get to know you guys more personally. Thank personal you, Thank you, guys. Thanks for your faithfulness. It's an encouragement and a blessing. Thank you. We appreciate the involvement of Cooney Bible Church.